What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. And today we're going to be talking about how to think biblically when a national crisis occurs. National crises, unfortunately, are things that we are accustomed to when we see the next school shooting. Uh, when we see an airplane go down, when we see terroristic attacks, it weighs heavy on us as a nation, and at times it elicits different responses. For certain ones of us, we respond in anger, and we think how much should have been done, how could we have prevented this? For some of us, it's deep sadness where we, we feel deeply, we long deeply, and although we may not have been immediately connected to that situation, the sadness that we feel when we read about another school shooting is it's pervasive. For some, it's mobilization that we feel a call to step into gear and to do something, you know, to prevent these types of things. For those of you that are old enough, you remember September 11th and the way that that really affected us as a nation. When those two planes hit the Twin Towers in New York, Many of us felt this protection and this anger and, and somewhat of a duty to help ensure that our nation and our people were safe in the future. You know, personally, that affected me. As some of you know, I ended up going to the military and my high school was very much marked by that. So then when I went to the military, it was still like the active Iraqi wars, the war on terrorism, and much of it stemmed from the September 11th attacks on America. So my my own personal life has been greatly shaped by national crises. And yet, what does God want us to think about a national crisis? And as a Christian, how do we respond during difficult days like these? Well, I'd like you to grab your Bible, first of all. And I want to show you a situation that occurred in the Gospel of Luke. And it, it seems to be a, maybe a regional crisis more than a national crisis. But let's go over to Luke 13, and I want to share this narrative with you where we see people come to Jesus and they ask him about a natural disaster that had taken place, a national disaster where we have political attack on people. So Luke 13, verse 1, the scripture says, there were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them and he said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay, I, I want to try to teach through some of this, hopefully to put it in greater context and, and to help defang some of what may be an initial shock to you when you see the way Jesus speaks here. 
First of all, there's some type of political oppression. The Galileans is a region in Israel, and something occurred where Pilate has now killed those that were engaging in religious ceremony. And when asked about it, Jesus said, do you think that they were worse than us? Do you think they in some way deserved this? Uh, just because they deserved this, that's why Pilate killed them. Uh, what is interesting to me is a couple of things. First of all, in this way, Jesus doesn't attempt to get God off of the hook, or he doesn't in some way minimize God's role in this. He doesn't also default to a an innately good and a high view of mankind. When this crisis occurs, he levels the playing ground and he says, you know, these Galileans didn't deserve it any more than you and I deserve it. It's not because of some hidden sin in their life that they died. I do think that for some of us, we see this kind of capital execution of judgment where a national crisis occurs and we think, okay, like they deserved that. And in fact, some of you may recall this very misguided church and this church would picket the funerals of soldiers and claim that God was actually judging America based off of the death of soldiers. And it's this just highly unbiblical view of God's judgment. And here Jesus says, no, it's not that they were greater sinners. That's why they died. You have to guard your mind against thinking, well, this is some type of punishment. It's always some type of punishment and judgment of the Lord. And when that plane goes down, that tower falls that school is attacked, that mall is attacked, when that happens, your mind cannot immediately go to, well, those people were under the judgment of God because we know that biblically that's not true. It's, it's not always true to be most exact. And for you to be definitive about that statement, I would say is, is always wrong. You cannot be definitive about that statement. Do you think the Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They weren't in some way worse. So the sobering reality is that we too will face death and we need to be ready for that death. Before you say, wow, they deserve that or they must have had that coming. You have to think to yourself, well, you know, I am also going to perish and there, but for the grace of God, that was not me today or that was not my family member or my friend. So by God's grace, help me to be ready to face death in a way that is a representative of God being the one who I will see once I die. This next natural disaster seems to be that a tower has fell on multiple people, and in so doing, those individuals died. And again, Jesus says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all those who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This natural disaster, you think of a tornado. We have hurricanes in California. It is fires. When we consider natural disasters and those things that weren't a terroristic attack, it wasn't an act of maliciousness by someone who is intending to hurt other individuals, but a tower falls and people die through that. We, again, guard our hearts and our minds and say, this isn't because that person was evil or because they deserved it. This isn't always an act of judgment by the Lord. But this natural disaster reminds us that we should be prepared and that we ourselves should be right with the Lord, walking in an expectancy that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
James describes your life like a mist or a vapor. And when you go out into a cold morning and you exhale, what happens when you exhale is you see an example of what James describes your life to be, that in the grand scheme of eternity, your life is like that. Every national crisis reminds us of the brevity of our life because that could have been us. Are we ready to meet the Lord? Those individuals are not necessarily worse than us that have been affected by this. Are you personally ready to meet the Lord if and when a crisis touches your personal life? After I I reckon with some of that, now I can begin to tease out next steps. If I am ready, if I'm living my life in a way that before the Lord is holy, before the Lord is obedient, before the Lord I am ready to see him, let's consider a couple of other things as we respond in a biblical way. The first thing is that we know God is present and we don't have to get him off of the hook when talking about a national crisis. I understand that God works through evil at times. And I understand that God allows bad circumstances to accomplish spiritual good in people's lives. And it stinks. It stinks. In our valley here in Santa Clarita in California, we had a school shooting about three years ago. And after that, there was a lot of counseling that we engaged in at our church. And one of the things that we saw work through that is that the Lord used that to bring about a sobriety of high school students and to really evaluate what is life about, what is important, what are they doing with their life, what really matters. And that bad circumstance God did use to produce fruit in the lives of other students. God does use evil at times to accomplish good purposes. And those good purposes are greater sanctification, greater Christlikeness, greater trust in Him. I don't have to get God off the hook and say, well, you know, God didn't want this, or sometimes Satan rules and God just can't control those types of things. That's actually a very small view of who God is. Growing up, I was taught kind of that God and Satan were in this cosmic battle with each other and that certain days Satan's winning and other days Satan's losing and God is winning. But practically speaking, you have to see that That's not accurate. God is always winning. God is always in complete control. Every molecule of our universe is under his sovereign rule. So for me to, in some way, during a national crisis, erode from the sovereignty of God, I'm missing it. I I don't have to get God off of the hook. He's completely in control. His purposes are not always my purposes. His ways are not always my ways. And in fact, they're frequently not my ways. But I know that God can work through this seemingly terrible circumstance to bring about greater good. If you don't believe that, then what do you do with the cross in all reality? What do you do with the cross? What do you do with the death of Jesus if you don't believe that God uses bad circumstances to accomplish good purposes? All of us as Christians resonate with the idea that Jesus suffered and died under political oppression and religious oppression. And yet, when those types of national crises hit us, we often wonder, where is the Lord and what's he doing? Yet we know he was at the center of the crucifixion. We know that he was at the center of the cross. So I have to maintain a high view of the sovereignty of God, and I feel no compulsion to get him off the hook. And yet, what I would argue for you 
is that the next turn that you make is not to get God off the hook, but to focus on the goodness of God during this time. We're going to take a short commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the goodness of God and how it relates to national crises. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Johnson. If you struggle with an issue, any emotional issue, we would like to help you. There are thousands of certified biblical counselors at biblicalcounseling.com. Please visit our site and find a biblical counselor who will walk alongside you to help you overcome your struggles. We would be honored. question. How much do you actually know about the Masters University and everything they have to offer? Because they have quite a bit that you may not even know about. They offer accredited undergrad, master's, and doctoral degrees in biblical counseling, plus they have over 150 additional programs. You can find out more about their in-person or online programs by spending some time at masters.edu. You can also drop into the campus for a visit. I know they'd love to spend the day with you introducing you to the Masters University. Having God's perspective on life is crucial, especially when dealing with emotional struggles. In Seeing With New Eyes, David Paulison helps you see people and yourself the way God sees us. Available now at transformed.org. You know, sometimes we find ourselves struggling with some of the very same issues that Dr. Gifford is addressing here on the Transform Podcast. And if you have a specific question you would like him to address, you can email him at greg at transformed.org. Here's the deal. Though you can ask him any question you'd like to ask, be pithy and also include your name, though you can request that he call you anonymous if he uses your question on the show. Send your questions now to Dr. Gifford at greg at transformed.org. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back. We've been talking about the idea of a national crisis. And this week is a heavy week for some of us as we consider how national crises affect us personally. I looked at Luke 13 and we saw multiple crises taking place there, natural disasters, political oppression. And the first thing I said is that we don't have an obligation to get God off the hook. When a national crisis comes, some of us default to, uh, well, God wasn't in control of that or, well, you know, Satan sometimes wins and, and God didn't will that to happen. But you have to just be very cautious with that. Because the sovereignty of God tells us that he's in complete control and there's no political leader that's acting outside of God's ultimate secret will or, or his will that will take place, his will of design. So no matter the political oppression, no matter the person that comes and says, hey, you guys are acting wrongly, I'm going to persecute you for that. I know God's in complete control. Yet what I would encourage you to practically in the times of a national crisis is the goodness of God. Let's talk about the goodness of God for a second. It's one of his attributes as he reveals himself in scripture. So let's go back to Psalm 119. And what I'd like you to see is that the goodness of God is where I take individuals in a biblical counseling context 
when they have faced significant trials and or difficulties. God is both good and the standard of goodness, meaning everything that he does is right. Every decision that he makes is the best decision. Oftentimes, theologians will couple God's goodness with his wisdom. His wisdom is that he, he not only knows everything, that's omniscience and knowledge, his wisdom means that he knows the best path, the best path and the best end. So wisdom and goodness coupled together remind me that when God acts, he acts in a way that is always good and always right. Okay, hopefully you're in Psalm 119. By the way, when you're listening to these podcasts, I do encourage you to grab your Bible because I want you to grow in being conversational with your scripture, where you can turn and and passages that really stand out to you. You can mark those and come back to them. So I hope you do really grab your Bibles during these times. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. When speaking to Yahweh, you are good. Yahweh is good and does good. Practically, one of the ways that God reveals himself in Scripture is in goodness and loving kindness. In the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord, we do recognize that he not only does what is good, but becomes the final standard of goodness for us. The psalmist here says, that's who you are. But it's not only who you are, it's what you do. Remember the time when Abraham is somewhat bartering with the Lord? He's interceding on behalf of Lot, who is a relative in Sodom and Gomorrah. And and when speaking with the Lord in Genesis 18, Abraham says, if there's 50, would you spare the city? If there's 10, would you spare the city? Do you remember that? One of the things that he says is, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the, the simple answer is yes. He will. When national crisis occurs, one of the things that I encourage you to do is to actually rotate your attributes of God to focus on the goodness of God. I don't necessarily mean that the wrath of God is somehow less existent, and I don't in some way mean that the sovereignty of God is somehow less existent. But what I do mean is that God emphasizes certain attributes of himself during different contexts in Scripture. Not every attribute is emphasized. Exodus 36, we're going to see that God emphasizes loving kindness and covenant-keeping love. This is the reality that in Scripture, different attributes are emphasized at different times, and yet God is all of those at once. So in no way am I inferring that God is less wrath or God is less justice during a time of national crisis. But I am saying that one of the things that is important for you to meditate on is the reality that God always does what is right and that he himself is the final standard of goodness. When you and I are good, we're actually reflecting back our Father in heaven. He is the Father of lights. He is the source of all good gifts, James 1.17 says. In a national crisis, The goodness of God has to permeate your worldview and permeate your thinking because that goodness is what's going to ground you in the reality that it may not make sense right now, but I know that God is good. I know that what he does is right, and I know that he always chooses the best end 
to those means in his wisdom. So it doesn't make sense to me right now. I would not have chosen to do that to my community. I would not have chosen to do that to the families that I'm connected to or to my own family, but I believe in the goodness of God. Sovereignty without goodness is oppressive. Sovereignty without goodness is oppressive. Here's what I mean by that. Some of you have actually worked for a boss who was the boss, no doubt, and boy, did they love to tell you, and yet they were not a good boss. They were the boss, they were the authority, they were in charge, but yet they were not a good boss. They were not a good boss because what they did was not right. The means that they did it wasn't right. Your interests were not preserved. Their goodness was absent, but yet they were still lowercase sovereign, lowercase the boss in that moment. Goodness without sovereignty is like our, our, our grandfather in a way. Now, I joke with my students about this when we're talking through the attributes of God. When I mean grandfatherly, we just mean like, you know how sometimes we can think of our grandfather and we're like, you know, Graham, that's just really sweet, but that's just not the way that the world works, Grandpa. That's just really sweet, but you just seem kind of disconnected from reality. Like you have a great heart, Grandpa, but uh, you just can't functionally do that anymore. That's not the way things work. Goodness without sovereignty is represented when we think of God as just like this kind, congenial, uh, gracious old man in the sky. And man, he sure would have loved for that not to happen. But, you know, the world's just a wicked place and Satan's just real. But God is sure good. Man, he's sure good. He just couldn't, he couldn't stop it. You know, he, he, he couldn't really do anything about that. He's just that kind grandfather in the rocking chair in the sky. And that's a very unbiblical view of who God is. I understand at times people are wanting to protect God and to get him off the hook and to not make him the source of evil. For sure, I totally get that. But yet, the Bible never portrays that God is this sweet grandfatherly figure who just couldn't control that circumstance. But man, he sure wanted to. Sovereignty is an inherent, let me, let me choose a better word. Sovereignty is an integral part of goodness. God could not be good without being sovereign. His goodness is grounded in his sovereignty. If he had all these great motivations and intentions, but had no power to execute them, you would see him somewhat like that kind grandfather that just didn't have the capacity to do it anymore. So why does goodness and sovereignty matter so much? Because if you lose goodness, you have a, a tyrant. If you lose sovereignty, you have a sweet grandfather that just can't do anything anymore. In a national crisis, I'm encouraging you to emphasize both. Behold the character of God in his sovereignty. I don't have a compulsion to get him off the hook, but rather to be prepared to meet him. To Luke 13, to understand that because those individuals have passed doesn't make them worse. In fact, I need to be ready to meet the Lord. And then I need to also emphasize that God is in control of these things, and he does use these things to accomplish his purposes. The cross is the pinnacle, perhaps, of national disasters that speaks to God working through national crises. But don't stay there, guys. Don't just press the gas on sovereignty without also emphasizing the goodness of God. 
If you do that, I, I'm convinced you'll be just a very contentious individual. If you do that, perhaps you've never actually sat with a person who's been affected by a national disaster or loss that comes through that. When you sit with an individual who has experienced loss or they heard this shooting and now they have nightmares and dreams, it, it tempers you a bit to not only say God is sovereign, but to also say God is good. And everything that he does is good. And, oh, I wish I could speak into what I think should have been done there, but I actually think God's goodness is better than my own and his wisdom is better than my own. And I would love for us to be able to just have really kind, gracious, peaceful environments in which we're all sanctified, but God often uses adversity and trials to bring about sanctification. He uses persecution to spread the church and to make us more like Jesus Christ. So emphasize the goodness of God as well. Behold the goodness of God. Meditate on the goodness of God. Go to passages like Psalm 119 that speak to the goodness of God. And in the end, know that you have a God that is completely in control and he's good. Let me pray for you and let me pray for us as a nation for this week. Lord, we come to you in times of crisis and we look to you. We know you're in control and at times that's what's hard because there are there are things we would have liked to have unfolded differently. May you give us eyes to see that you're completely in control. Things are going completely according to your plan and your plans are good and wise. May we submit our reason at times, our preferences at times to you and understand that we would at times choose it to be done differently, but we trust your plans is better and superior because you're good and everything that you do is good. Give us eyes to see that this week. Help us to be a people who genuinely trust your goodness and your sovereign rule in our life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hello, I'm Dr. Dale Johnson, Executive Director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And we've partnered with Gospel Partners Media to bring you this groundbreaking new series, Transform. If you've benefited from watching this series, would you please consider supporting our ministry financially so we can continue to bring you this series and others like it? Thank you.